Episode 70 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me after a <laughs> brief hiatus is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? Yes, a Thanksgiving hiatus. I'm doing <laughs> well. And over the post-Thanksgiving get-together I had with my mother and brother, we went to see the movie we're going to be reviewing today, The Fablemans. Yes. Um, very much hyped as this most sort of personal movie of steven spielberg's career i think one publication said it is the film we have been waiting for steven spielberg to make uh <laughs> it is obviously the fablemans that we're talking about today directed by steven spielberg as if he needed an introduction also the director of jaws raiders of the lost ark saving private ryan and loads of other movies starring michelle williams paul dano and seth rogan uh as well as a young actor gabriel labelle who plays the spielberg stand-in um it is a semi-autobiographical story loosely based on steven spielberg's adolescence and first years as a filmmaker told through the original story of the fictional fableman family uh it premiered originally september 10th at the toronto film festival and had a wide release november 11th 2022 it is coming to pay-per-view next week i think or it might be today actually december 13th i should have checked that um <laughs> a rod tomato score of 91 and a metacritic score of 84 um this has been an incredibly well-reviewed movie it was one for a while before it came out many people were predicting would be nominated for loads of awards and with the golden globe nominations released this week it is not surprising that the fable wins has been nominated for dramatic feature director and i think supporting actress for from michelle williams or is it lead actress i can't remember going for lead at the oscars yeah. i think lead do you agree with all of this uh critical praise for Spielberg's well, I think latest i think before we review the movie i think we should put into context how this movie came about mm. so this is the first film that Spielberg is one of the screenwriters on in over 20 years. The last film he was a screenwriter on was AI, which yeah. is the film that he took over from directing when Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick passed away. It was originally going to be one of his movies. So uh, very few films have uh, Spielberg as a screenwriter. One of the, I think maybe the only one that he's the sole screenwriter on is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's one of the few, at least, he's a screenwriter on. So it's written with Tony Kushner, who's probably best known for Angels in America, which was a uh, play and, and also a miniseries. HBO miniseries. Right. And they have collaborated multiple times together. I think this is their fourth. They wrote, uh, yeah. well, Kushner wrote Munich, Lincoln, and Spielberg's previous film that came out just this time last year, West Side Story. And the film... The Fablemans came about because uh, when West Side Story, uh, you know, was finished, they shot it before the pandemic mm -hmm. and it was a little bit before it came in theaters. Um, Kushner would talk to Spielberg. And this was true, you know, 20, almost 20 years ago when they were making Munich, that uh, he asked him about his childhood and he told him stories. And the first one he said was the opening scene of the film where Spielberg's memory of going to see his first film in a theater, seeing Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth. And Kushner said, this should be in a movie. And he would basically interview and just talk to Spielberg. And during the pandemic, they'd get together on Zoom and they came up with the idea that Spielberg should do a movie based in his childhood and yes he's done films based on his childhood before I would say most notably E.T. Mm -hmm. but this is uh, very autobiographical although it is not entirely uh, sticking to his real life I mean for one thing the none of the characters uh, you know family members have his name they're mm -hmm. they're fictionalized characters but uh yeah, so that's the the setup of the film, and it was filmed during the pandemic, 
and it came out almost exactly the same time as West Side Story did last year. And mm-hmm. we don't need to necessarily talk about this right now, but it's kind of sad that they've both really underperformed at the box office. Yeah, but this one, I think, had lower expectations as far as money was concerned. I mean, it's a pretty hard sell, a two and a half hour movie about a Jewish family in Arizona in the 1960s. But I guess what we're seeing is Spielberg as a name for a director just doesn't quite have the same draw that it used to have. I mean, but the funny thing is that I would think that Spielberg is the number one most well-respected, well-known, like if any average person on earth knows one director at steven spielberg i think that might be over like 40 i think maybe nolan might have replaced him for, no, for younger no. people i think you think he... you think a lot of 18 year olds are familiar with steven spielberg no but i'm saying that i think that there are if you pulled everyone on earth and asked them to name all the directors oh spielberg would probably be number one yeah, yeah. um i also think we need to put into context i think it's an interesting that uh within the last 16 months or so there's been multiple films with directors looking at their past uh some of them last year we had paul thomas anderson with licorice pizza we had kenneth brana with belfast yeah (laughs) within the last few months we have uh armageddon time with james gray and in a more comedic and fictionalized way, we had Weir, the Al Yankovic story, yeah. uh, which is kind of a spoof of a biopic. Um, and I wonder if, like this... Well, uh, actually, um, Richard Linklater, Apollo, uh, what was it, Apollo? Half, I think, was the number. Yeah, that's yeah, sort of. Yeah, I think that what's interesting is that I think that there's two types of movies that perhaps we've had this onslaught of them within the last like you know two years uh this in horror films because people yeah. were stuck at home uh, art- artists were stuck at home during the pandemic and i think that there were certain people like james gray talked about this specifically in interviews with armageddon time he was thinking that you know I don't know if he was necessarily thinking about mortality as much but just he thought if i only get to make one more movie I want to make something really personal. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people were reflective on their own life and their families and where they came from, perhaps more than usual during the pandemic when they were stuck at home. Oh, and absolutely. I think that on the other side of that, there's been so many good horror films this year because perhaps people's fears and anxieties were perhaps festering and bubbling up when they were stuck at home. So I think it's interesting that there. this is not like you know there's been many films within the last year and a half about uh prominent directors looking back at their childhood no this is definitely in film history in like 40 years when we look back this will be like the period of the old white american filmmakers making movies about their their childhood or at least the milieu of their childhood because licorice pizza wasn't necessarily autobiographical but was like about where Paul Thomas Anderson grew up basically more than anything. Um, but I, I mean, we could dive into this one up. I, mean, <laughs> I thought this was incredibly revealing just of Spielberg's concerns and just his sort of fixations. And it's actually really illuminated some of the movies he's made earlier in his career, like uh, Close Encounters and E.T. that you mentioned, which are sort of science fiction movies on, well, also I, Poltergeist to a bit is sort of like a family drama underneath stuff. Um, so obviously family is something that's really been at the center um, of a lot of Spielberg's work. Even uh, The Last Crusade is like basically about a father and son. So it's it's interesting to see him just sort of make the latent content of his movies, the manifest content. And this is like the ultimate Spielberg movie kind of in that way because of his his fixations and the stuff he's interested in making movies about is very much on the surface in a way that in other movies, it's sort of the subtext. Uh, but in this one, it's it's very much the text. Um, and this one, if, it really grew on me as it went on because the stuff when he was really young, um, I thought had a very different kind of tone to the stuff when he was a teenager. But like, I think you find that? Though, I think the movie starts a little bit twinkly eyed, the parent yeah. go in love and they're getting along so well and he's discovering the magic of cinema. But I think that the film is not supposed to be this documentary you know accurate 
yeah rep- this happened and this happened and this happened. it's like it's like a representation of his memories and his idea of his childhood yeah and i think that it's really significant that this is like a film professor nerd thing that i noticed at the <laughs> very beginning of the movie in the first shot when you see the parents and little who is supposed to be steven sammy Stover, sammy <laughs> another s uh they're standing outside this outside the theater going to see the greatest show on earth spielberg's first film ever and you see the parents on either side of him they're already separated visually even though they're together and they're married and they're getting along you see the father on one side and you see the mother on the other and i think that it's significant i would say there's two main clips that people should watch before going to see this movie Uh, I'll get to the second one later, but the first one is a scene of Spielberg on Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton, and Lipton points out uh, that the kind of idea of Close Encounters, that there is this big machine that is like beep, boop, boop, bop, Mm -hmm. and it creates this musical, uh, you know... Language, basically. Language, and it helps, uh, you know, they communicate with the aliens and that it's a mixture of his father, who is this tech person, and his mother, who was a musician. And Spielberg, in that interview with Lipton's like, oh my gosh, that's (laughs) true. I did never realize that. And he's like, just, I mean, he kind of nails it. And I think that this film, in that opening of The Fablemans, you see the father on the left side giving a very technical explanation of like literally how does film work, the persistence of vision and the 24 frames per second. And it's the illusion of movement. And then the mother, she has a more kind of artistic uh, saying that, you know, films are like a dream that Mm -hmm. you always remember. And I think it's significant that it, you know, it kind of, you get these two in the very first shot, the very opening of the movie, you get this, you know, kind of interpretation of the different, people his parents were one was very tech oriented and very kind of by the books and he was kind of hesitant to support Spielberg at first with his idea of wanting to be a film director and the mother was more artistic and kind of free willing but you also see the problem with the power of movies that's one of the major things the film about is uh that he basically found out his mother was in love with his father's best friend and yes. he out through what he was filming. It's almost, and, and for like, me it was the scene of the movie and sort of where it turns. Right. Um, it's almost like blow up. Yes. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, this is amazing. And it was right. so sort of different than what came before it. Cause um, well, I guess it's, it's something he would remember cause it's sort of a moment of like rupture in his entire life. Um, so it, I guess it would stand out in his memory, but um just yeah just sort of like using the cinema which he's devoted his life to as sort of like a tool that exposes him to these truths that uh you know were there but he just couldn't see or you know wasn't willing to um but as you were saying with this sort of duality of the parents definitely reminded me of a uh, tree of life um with the sort of mother representing the sort of grace figure and the father sort of representing nature and competitiveness and you know the harsh reality of of the real world uh, very much got that in the Fablemans, but right. and I guess just, in a little less mythic and symbolic than we well, get in Free of Life. Well, less Christian. Yes, because, uh, definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have that same uh, reading, but I understand. Yeah, it does. There's the duality that, you know, and the comparisons and contrasts of the two parents. I think we should note that um, the performances are terrific all yes. around. I, always, I mean, to me, Michelle Williams is like one of the absolute top actresses of her generation and she frequently makes interesting choices and um i mean she's one of those actresses i've seen most of her movies with from the last 10 years except the venom movies i never saw but (laughs) she's worked with kelly rydark repeatedly she's in my favorite film of the uh 2000s synecdoche new york uh and i think she's just she manages to capture in that dreamlike way the memory way the the mother's aura yeah and this kind of spirit of her but she also also she's like a chaotic force though right yeah there's a there's it's not always good to be so kind of free floating like there's yeah. a scene in fact where she's dancing in front of the headlights outside and it's like it's literally too revealing <laughs> and uh, you see that you know being so kind of free willing 
is not always a good thing for children and it's not always the most state. I mean, you see that she even had mental problems. I totally disagree with some critics who are saying, oh, this movie is like, you know, oh, Spielberg's just showing his childhood in this positive light. There's a lot of darkness and like real truth exposing. Well, I thought someone else said like, wow, Spielberg hates his mom. And I was like, that's not really what I got from it either. It's sort of, I think he's sort of coming to terms with seeing her as a, you know, real human being which has flaws i don't think he ever really ex- it's never it's definitely not like candy colored you know everything's sugar and rainbows but it's also not like my mom ruined my life <laughs> like right. it, it doesn't have to be one or the other and, and that's what i think sort of the most interesting part about this is that um it's not it wasn't like it necessarily an easy watch like some some difficult stuff happens in it some stuff that it doesn't really spoon feed you as an audience member how you're necessarily supposed to react to it um which I thought I was and not think, something Spielberg usually does, because usually he does sort of spoon feed his audience. And even though it's different time periods, I think it's interesting that both this film and Armageddon time, you, there's look at anti-Semitism. And I think mm-hmm. that's some of the strongest parts of this movie, seeing young Spielberg going to high school and seeing the wasp jocks beating him up and threatening him and you know calling him names and uh i i also think it's funny the scenes of him dating the christian girl (laughs) (laughs) no that was definitely the funniest parts of the movie but um i don't don't, it's in so many ways it was like spielberg the origin story and you know it's hard it's hard for us to but you assume most of it's true um you know or at least the spirit of it's pretty true i guess just what was so interesting was how much of a virtuoso he seemed to be from like an extremely young age and um sort of combining um his mom and his dad and sort of what makes a lot of his movies interesting at the time is the the technical achievements of them and him sort of figuring out stuff in an engineering way there's an interesting scene where he's doing a western and he's like disappointed by how fake the gunshots look and uh pokes holes into the film itself to like expose light through it as a way to create an effect when gunshots are fired which i thought was very interesting um I don't know. In some ways, it was a sort of showing off what a virtuoso he's always been. But I guess if that's honest, that, you know, more power to Spielberg for just being an amazing filmmaker from the time he was like 16 years old, which, you know, I can believe. But for me, those were some of the coolest parts when he's sort of making films and showing it to people. Um, And then a really interesting one when he's in the new high school and he's alienated and uh, does a film of like a senior beach day um we're basically like no one's his friend but um his outsider status sort of gives him an interesting perspective on stuff and he uh makes a character like look amazing and the character's like why did you do this and i was like wow this is not a direction i expected this to go so um for someone who maybe hasn't seen the movie that might mean might not mean a lot but uh once you do i think i think you get it but for me i thought this was really really good i thought uh i think we both really liked west side story last year um I really like this movie. Well, so. I, I, I admire the technical uh, aspects of West Side Story and the performance. I want to rewatch yeah. it. I felt, I felt almost bad for not like being <laughs> liking it as much, uh, but I totally thought it was an incredible achievement. Yeah. I, I think Fablemans is like top five Spielberg of this century. Yeah, me too. Um, um, but uh, I think that we should also mention, I think it's okay to give it away. This isn't really a spoiler, but the other video I recommend people watching before seeing this film is uh, Spielberg talking about meeting John Ford. And it's an interview where he's with uh, Ron Howard. And and what he tells in that story is verbatim what happens uh, in at the end of the film. And my favorite living director, David Lynch, plays John Ford mm-hmm. and you can look up videos or read about how he got cast in the film and that's really funny but he's so perfectly cast it's just an inspired bit of casting and uh it's just a wonderful way to end the movie and the last shot is really funny and clever oh yeah it is <laughs> very interesting but yeah I um I it made me sad in a little bit of a way because I could imagine someone seeing the end of that film and not knowing like who yeah. John Ford is. And like when you hear or David the, Lynch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you could get away with not knowing it's David yeah. <laughs> not even though John Ford is. It's like when you see all those posters and the music is playing, isn't it the music from the searchers? I am pretty sure. I yes. saw it in the Yeah. But uh, yeah. And in, 
you may think oh david lynch playing john ford but he really does look like him from that period like it's mm-hmm. kind of uh, incredible with eye patch and everything but uh we should also mention uh judd hirsch has a great one scene in the movie yes and, and he uh I, I read somewhere if he gets nominated i think he might be the oldest acting nominee ever if he'll be the it would have to be up there with shortest amount of screen time too i mean right. i think the lady from network she what was he she in like four minutes yeah yeah <laughs> beatrice straight but yeah, yeah. Uh, and also this is popped in my head it's probably wasn't he nominated for ordinary people yes i think it will be perhaps like the longest gap between nominations mm-hmm. 40 plus years yeah paul dano also is fantastic i, I think it's interesting to start seeing actors like paul dano and michelle williams who've um we've kind of grown up with a bit starting to play these parent roles <laughs> so right. um that's something we've like uh anne hathaway and armageddon time i think it's it's just sort of interesting to see these trends this transitional period for uh this age of actors because you have people will... like tom cruise who kind of play a 35 year old forever and then right. well except for this year where he's finally sort of admitted he's an old person right. um <laughs> yeah he's six turned 60 this year i think yeah. that uh I, this isn't like a controversy to me it doesn't bother oh me. with the uh, the casting of non-jewish actors yeah I, I mean i think they give great performances not very jewish though <laughs> you know no but you know not everyone who is jewish looks super jewish right yeah i mean if you look at his real parents like you know they, they look much more i don't want to say like steven spielberg <laughs> yeah. yeah and i think it's interesting we are talking about you know you know did you know is he being unfair or you know to his mother is he, uh, but uh he did he did say though that he waited till his parents died to make this movie yeah i uh, think i read somewhere that his parents were like basically asking him while they're alive to like make something that they could see about them while they were still alive and he obviously didn't and uh his father uh lived to be 103 his holy mother, crap really 90 something. <laughs> but yeah and it's interesting that james gray's father died during the post-production of Armageddon Time and didn't get to see the film. And that film, he's a very complicated character. You see him beating his son with a belt in the movie. Oh, wow. uh, and quite strict. But um, so, yeah, I think this Fableman's, you know, I don't know. I just, I have no idea what the normal average American wants to see, but like, this is like a very personal film, but I think it's totally accessible and entertaining. Oh, definitely. Um and it does have like an arc. It's not just like totally random stuff from his childhood. Um, and, I, and I think that it's also, uh, it, it's a good example of, I've heard film critics say the more specific you make a film, the more universal it ends up being. If you yeah. try to make it really kind of vague and not specific, it ends up in a way being, you don't really believe it, it's as honest and truthful. And, and we haven't we haven't mentioned Gabriel LaBelle at all, who I thought gave a really, really good central performance and sort of made or break uh, sort of the movie would be made or broken through his performance. And um, especially the scene we talked about earlier where he discovers uh, the sort of emotional affair his mother's having having. Um, I haven't seen him in a lot. I think he has some acting experience. I don't think this is his first movie, but he really, really impressed me. Um Right, especially because yeah. he's playing, you know, someone we all sort of have an idea of Steven Spielberg, and maybe not necessarily what he would be like when he was a kid, but most of us have seen interviews or you know aware of what he's like. So I thought he did a very good job of capturing the the essence of what I think young Spielberg would be like. Right, and I just yeah, and it and it's one of the better movies I've seen in recent years about movies. Yeah, it's a film about you know, filmmaking, but also the love of cinema. I should also point out another one that I haven't seen yet. Uh, Sam Mendes has a film, Empire of Light, yeah. which is about him growing up and in the 80s and discovering the love of cinema. Hasn't got nearly as good reviews, but uh, yeah. it is the uh, one of the few films that, it's the first film he wrote by himself. So it's interesting that oh, some wow. of these directors that aren't known for being screenwriters or not usually that they're even going back and writing these films. So it's Fableman's big thumbs up. Definitely go see it. Go see it before it leaves theaters, but it's going to. Yeah, already... I think it's pay-per-view. Yeah, I think it just came out today. Um, yeah. It seems like, especially this time of year, the theatrical runs are just going to be shorter and shorter. 
for movies and that they'll transition yes. to pay-per-view except it's, for the big franchise movies and the yeah. animated movies yes <laughs> yeah basically yeah <laughs> except that disney run uh strange world that like made no money at all right. um but yeah uh we will take a short break and come back and discuss uh some of our favorite spielberg movies All right, we are back and uh, we are going to discuss in uh, in keeping with the Fablemans and the sort of retrospective of Spielberg's career that sort of comes with seeing it and thinking about Spielberg and uh, I guess what he's meant to American cinema, really, and how for for younger people, he sort of occupies the status of somebody like John Ford, who just has, you know, many, many, many great films um, and you know, different ones have different place for in uh, the hearts of different people. But we're just going to sort of touch on some that we think are his his best or maybe have contributed most to American cinema. Um, and I think you are going to get us started with uh, his first movie, Duel, uh, which was also a ABC movie of the week. <laughs> yes. So Duel is not technically a theatrical film, at least in the U.S., because, like you said, it was a TV movie right about 75 minutes, basically a 90 minute time slot, uh, like an episode of some of Columbo. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, but they filmed about 15 more minutes and released it uh, in a lot of the rest of the world as a theatrical film, but it came out 1971. Uh, so Spielberg was just about 25 years old when he directed it. And it's honestly one of the best things he's ever done. It's a lean, mean, 90-minute genre movie. And it's so sparse and just perfectly done. It's based on a short story by Richard Matheson. And it is just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's based on his screenplay. I think it might have been based on a short story of his, but Richard Matheson, really famous uh, writer, did the story that I Am Legend is based on, The Omega Man. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway... Yeah, Duel is basically about a man who is driving in the out west for a job and a guy in a big truck just tries to run him off the road for 90 minutes and you never see the guy. You never have any explanation why. And it's just it's just a survival film and it's really exciting. And even though it's a TV movie, it's brilliantly directed and edited. And it's just it's just a really solid, you know, uh high concept movie and it's it's like i often say you know i i really do like spielberg but there's been you know there a number of his movies i don't like and don't think are good and i frequently will say that you know duel is better than this like like without question half of his movies aren't as good as duel but you know he's done a lot of great movies too but i'm saying duel is one of the like just and certainly one of his most purely entertaining movies absolutely <laughs> so i highly recommend it's on blu-ray uh easy to stream multiple places duel d-u-e-l what well, also sounds like it's a good um kind of forerunner of what i think makes him a pretty special filmmaker is just how good he is at visual language and expressing story through images um which i i haven't seen it but i can assume there's not a lot of dialogue am i am i right in assuming that correct like i said <laughs> you can see the man in the truck and well you never even really know for sure you know what's going on and you know the man is by himself in his car you know he says things exclaims stuff at times but you know it's it's sparse in the dialogue but yeah and like i said even though it's a tv movie it's just he directs the hell out of it so uh i i I highly recommend people go back and watch that and it's interesting at work if if people especially haven't seen both these films his first definite theatrical film the sugarland express is also very much a uh car film it's uh goldie hahn they're driving and it's it's i i wouldn't say duel is like a a road trip film necessarily I mean, he is traveling he's being you know <laughs> he is covering distance <laughs> right yeah but they both make uh if people have not seen either film which you haven't seen either of those nope. Uh, nope. it would make a really good double feature they go together well so uh, i think the first right i think probably a lot of people might think it's his first movie but definitely the earliest high profile big big movie i think when it came out was it the highest grossing movie of all time jaws 1975 
Yeah, and, um, and also totally changed how films were released. The basically after- invented the, the summer blockbuster, that and Star Wars, which came out two years later. Um, right. One of his great contemporaries, George Lucas. But Jaws for me is a movie that really holds up today just because I think like I mentioned about Duel, it's just so good at visual storytelling that I think you could watch Jaws on like mute and understand basically everything that's going on. Obviously, you'd miss out on some of the great uh, Richard Shaw uh, or Robert Shaw monologues uh, and Richard Dreyfus as in a really good performance. Uh, but Jaws just works so well visually. Uh, I think maybe some people might think maybe like the first scene's kind of corny. You can see that it's day for night. Um, and I th- people talk about the shark looking fake, but when I watch it, I never really ever think that the shark looks fake because it's shot so well. And the scenes on the boat, uh, it's just expert, expert filmmaking. Uh, do, do you hold Jaws in as high regard as I do? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Tarantino has been doing press uh, the last few weeks, and he said that he thinks it's the best movie of all time. And he made I think the- that might be true. There's in terms film, of like a popcorn right. feeling edge of your seat, just like what's going to happen next, real and ride. It's it's also what what's so good about it is that it's it it it's like a it's like a uh, um a turning point because there are like big sections of the movie that are character driven, dialogue driven scenes with good actors. You get family drama. You get workplace you know and character politics and then you get the slam bam exciting thrilling scary gruesome thrills of a popcorn movie so it's kind of like a new hollywood film in a way i mean it definitely came out during the new hollywood period as it was you know still in the time but it's also ushering in a new era of the more thrills and spills uh, era and it's interesting spielberg has never made a horror movie unless you count Jaws as a horror film. And I kind of lean towards it being an action thriller uh-huh. in a horror film. But if you consider it a horror film, it's without question up there with The Exorcist as one of the highest grossing horror films of all time. And it's certainly exciting. I saw it uh, for the first time in a theater a few years ago, uh, right before the pandemic. And it's just, it, it, and it, it does, I mean, it has more character development uh, and certainly dialogue than dual, but it has a similar, there's this big monstrous, monstrous thing. One's a truck, one's uh, a shark that's just hunting and it's just so compelling. And like the, the, the last act of the movie is like, even if you've seen Brilliant. it, before, so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most purely entertaining movies ever, ever. Yes. And it just has a, it's a really clean narrative and it has a momentum that just builds and builds and builds. And by the time you get on the boat, there's like 45 minutes left and just everything that happens from that point off after is just like magnetic and so, so exciting. And I think it's even, even today, almost what are we almost 50 years later, it still feels really, really exciting. And um, when I, I think that, I know. And I think that uh, I shouldn't say this because I haven't read the novel, but I think a lot of people point to it being one of the best uh, examples of sometimes a film definitely is better than the source material. Like I, it was a big, big bestseller, the novel, but I think a lot of people think of it as kind of like an airport novel. Yeah. What's well, like what uh, uh, Hitchcock said, where you don't want to adapt, you know, Tolstoy, a great novel. You want to have a pretty mediocre novel and make a great film out of it. <laughs> right. And it's like Jaws is just the perfect example of like this was this is even better as a film like as yeah. a movie so uh jaws if if you manage to have never seen it see jaws yeah jaws um, and is a good, great place to start if you've never seen spielberg but jaws is certainly i would say a great place for his definite you know without question theatrical films uh, yes and then i think the next two we're going to kind of touch on the early eighties, I think is when Spielberg really becomes almost like a tycoon of the movie industry. Like the world's most famous director, I think happens with Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981 and E.T. in 1982 back to back years, pretty much the biggest movies of their respective years. E.T. I know was the highest grossing movie of all time when it came out. Um, it's not a movie I saw until a couple of years ago, actually. 
So it was one of those ones that you're very aware of and you've like seen the character and you've seen the ET phone home and, you know, the kids on the bike flying, but all those were just sort of like images I was aware of. So seeing it for the first time a couple of years ago, I was really, really impressed by it. Um, I don't think it quite holds up for me the same way something like Jaws does. Um, but I could very much understand why it was so big at its time. It's just like so heartwarming and human. And he just has such a gift for images, like the one of the alien and the little boy touching fingers and stuff like that. It's just like stuff that's burned in your brain. And the one of the uh, kid with the with the whatever you call it in the front and they're going across the moon, just like iconic, iconic images. And then with Raiders of the Lost, yeah, the silhouette. And then with Raiders of the Lost Ark, also the same kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's the Amlin logo. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is like a, I don't know. For me, it seems like a movie that's like always existed, I guess, because it came out 11 years before I was born. But it's just hard. It's it's hard for me to think of a time it didn't exist because it seems like it's just like, you know, like a story that's always been there. Um, and I think Spielberg sometimes can give that quality to films where it just sort of feels feels timeless. Like how you mentioned Jaws is a new Hollywood movie. It's almost like I don't know. For me, it almost feels like it exists in like this sort of like <laughs> alternate timeless reality where it's just always uh, amity and whatever time it is um it doesn't well, feel like a new hollywood movie the same way like a scorsese one does but with jaws well, you feel that more i think than raiders of the lost ark or et yeah raiders is uh yeah i mean it almost feels like well it is it is a period piece and it's a throwback to like movie serials yeah. and douglas fairbanks movies in a way and yeah uh, I, I, if I had to say, and it's hard to compare something like Jaws and Raiders Lost Ark with Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, but I honestly think uh, Raiders is my favorite Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. I would say it's my number one, and it's without question top 10 best action adventure films of all time, quite possibly top five. It's just supremely entertaining and it's like, we'll say this probably about every movie, but it's just <laughs> so well directed on a technical level. And it's just so entertaining. And I mean, Harrison Ford, you know, was in the first two Star Wars movies first, you know, other movies too, like American Blade Bro- Runner. But I mean, yeah, but it's like that string of like Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Blade Run, you know, uh, Raiders. And then oh, Blade- uh, hardly any actors have had anything like it. Right. And I think <laughs> maybe like that, Jimmy Stewart or something like that. It, it's just such it's such a rich movie. And and I like that. It's just like it, it it completely works as what it is like it knows it's a throwback to like movie serials. And I think even I mean, Star Wars was too, but I think Raid, I see I much prefer Raiders the Lost Ark to Star Wars. Like, Me too. I, Definitely. And I, I will say, even though I like some of the other indiana jones films and certainly scenes in them there's like a big gap between this and all the other ones like that like i don't like any of the three sequels soon to be four sequels uh not directed by spielberg the next one but there is a big gap in quality between this uh the first one well the Uh, raiders lost ark is just like lightning in a bottle and everything after that is just trying to capture it in a way that is impossible really I, I don't I, I don't understand anyone thinking that Raiders isn't the best of the four yeah. Indiana. Like it's 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 like other un- than like sentimental, like maybe it was your favorite as a kid or something. But right. Uh, evaluating but, it as an adult, like Raiders is I mean, it's one of the best American movies ever, I think. Um, right. the, Steven Soderbergh did a thing a few years ago where he released it in black and white with the score from the social network, just as like an experimented visual storytelling um, and that was a really interesting way to just appreciate how well staged everything is in the Spielberg movies, especially that one. Right. And it's also really refreshing to go back and watch a movie with all these great special effects and set pieces and mm-hmm. sets that's all without CGI. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the guy's Nazi's face melting. It's so cool. <laughs> like, like that is, you know, and then I'll go to say E.T. is it's so moving. Yeah, it's like you know, there's this little guy in a suit, and it's this little alien goes, ooh, but it so <laughs> works. It so works, and the ending is just like 
it it is yeah it's so earned uh, one of my favorite videos of watching someone talk about movies there's this snooty film critic who's talking to john cassavetes and he says that you make really uh you know adult movies that are you know uh in like a woman under the influence and he says and there's some directors like the steven spielbergs of the world that make uh, movies that are not so much uh, connected to character, you know, and they're spectacle films. What do you think about this? And this was right at the time of E.T. and mm -hmm. John Cassidy says, well, I don't know about that. I mean, I've seen Spielberg's, you know, Steven's new film. and I think it's a wonderful film. And I think it's very much about people. And, you know, my film, you know, like Woman is very hard. It's a tough movie. It's hard for people to watch, but um i think that et is something very different it's about love and sweetness and kindness and it's kind of a fairy tale but you know there's a lot of good films out there and et is one of them and i just love that like <laughs> the critic is like setting him up to like dish you know to diss spielberg yeah. and he just like how could this e. movie be the highest grossing movie ever <laughs> yeah. yeah and i mean it's kind of surprising that like that gandhi won best picture over it Oh, back. yeah. And I mean, and uh, it was interesting for me going back to see it, just how unspectacle driven E.T. kind of was. I mean, obviously, there are a few big sci fi moments like where the bicycles fly, but so much of it was just about like a kid making an emotional connection with his alien. So. It's a fam family <laughs> drama, a children's film. Yeah, and about a mom like doing her best to raise kids. So. Right. And, um, and in connection to John Ford which will kind of you can kind of connect to the fable men's because mm -hmm. he's watching the quiet man and yeah. kind of re reenacts it in this classroom but um now the next period of spielberg's career is kind of considered is like not off like they're all bad movies but kind of like it's interesting because he gets into sort of prestige movies with uh, the color right. purple and empire of the sun um, right. But then in 1993, he has like maybe the greatest single year by a director ever with Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Well, certainly outside the golden age of Hollywood, where you had like Michael Curtiz doing four movies, Casablanca <laughs> and Yankee Little Dandy in the same year. But yeah, it's uh, I, I'll just say I've seen every film Spielberg's directed except three from the 80s and uh, they're the color purple. Uh, which I feel kind of bad about because my mom wrote a book about Alice Walker. Oh, really? um, and I do, I do think it's funny that she was asked in an interview once what she thought of Spielberg making the, a film of the color purple. And she says something along the lines of, well, if he can do aliens, he can do us, meaning <laughs> black people. But, uh, but yeah, they're and it's interesting. They're doing a film musical of the stage musical um but anyway uh he did that in empire of the sun based on a jg ballad i always think it's strange i do want to read the novel first of both of those that's one reason i've held off the guy who wrote crash the yeah. one that david cronenberg made into a film the people one about people being sexually aroused by car accidents spielberg made a film based on one of his novels empire of the sun yeah well i think that's like a memoir basically well, well crash is kind of too he's the lead oh really Lead character, James Spader <laughs> at a different place in his life <laughs> yeah but but anyway uh yeah and always I think is widely considered one of his weakest films it's the remake of a Victor Fleming film from the 40s called a guy named Joe that starred Spencer Tracy um so I haven't seen those uh but our, our, arguably the best film from that period uh it was a few years earlier is there's controversy about whether he directed a lot of it or not as poltergeist which he's a producer on toby hooper directed it director of the texas chainsaw massacre but well, he really had a resurgence in the 90s like you said with the one two punch of and it shows the kind of two different i mean there's like if you put it into like really you know vague you know kind of uh if you had to separate his films into two categories there's the genre spectacle movies and then you have the uh historical dramas and the kind of prestige the sort of oscar and, movies right and so he has jurassic park and then he has schindler's list which cannot be more different from each other no but, but jurassic park like we said uh jaws kind of invents the summer blockbuster jurassic park kind of invents like the cgi movie in a lot of ways so in a lot and of ways amazing. it is sort of responsible for where we are today but it like I think you're gonna say it's amazing how good it looks compared to today's movies. And I right. think that's 100 percent true. Is that it combines 
animatronics and practical effects with CGI. Mm-hmm. Mix the two. If you have everything just so much CGI, you look at movie stills behind the scenes today, and it's like you have an actor standing in a giant green room looking at a tennis ball on a string. Mm-hmm. That's not what Spielberg did back then, at least. Yeah, he did with Ready Player One, maybe, but uh, with <laughs> Jurassic Park, it's just it's and it, it's like Jaws, and uh, I mean, I don't think it's as but- good. I mean, but, we we obviously didn't see it in theaters, but it seems like from the people who did see it in 1993 that they really felt like dinosaurs were like back in like a way that they never imagined they'd be able to see dinosaurs. So um, it's just right. a testament to Spielberg I mean, sort of like seeing things in a way that, that most people don't and bringing um, almost like a sort of like Jungian like memory thing <laughs> just for like it's a universal image that everyone sort of it was in their brain but Spielberg makes it come out on screen um I think he has a real power with the image in that way especially and, and I think that's why he's so popular is that he has a really good way of sort of tapping into the collective unconscious right um, and, and it's it, and a lot of children especially young boys have an obsession with dinosaurs yeah yeah um but yeah it, it's it's not my favorite favorite Spielberg but it's just I remember I watched it the first time and I remember always enjoying it, but I rewatched it in college for a class. And I just was like, I kind of underrated this movie because it's, I mean, it's also one of those things where you compare it to like almost every big action franchise Mm -hmm. science fiction movie. And it just like stuff is just such junk today compared to the first, including like every consecutive, every following Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Like I saw Jurassic World and it's just so nothing. It's not terrible, but it's just so nothing. Oh, it's like a copy of a copy. Yeah. Yeah. And even yeah. the first sequel, which Spielberg also directed, I think is one of his weaker films. Like there's some good Definitely. set. But it's just then not does not have the spark of the original. And then, so then Schindler- it's yeah, then it's five years. Oh, we shouldn't lose this. Yeah. 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 No, we can't forget so the first <laughs> film he did one best picture and he won but his first best director. Um it's, is it true that Scorsese was going to direct it and he was going to direct Cape Fear and they traded? Well, there had been a long history of people make talking. I mean, Kubrick was going to make a Holocaust film of some kind for years. And Sidney Lumet was, I think, at one point. I'm not necessarily saying Schindler's List, but yeah, Scorsese, a lot of major directors were thinking of doing like a big epic Holocaust film. And I think that <clears throat> it, the thing that's, amazing about schindler's list is that it's so heavy and just uncompromising and yet and it's weird to say this it's not an entertaining movie but it's so watchable and compelling it's it's thrilling and how good it is as drama like not of course i'm not saying that it's exciting i mean it's a it shows such horror and such violence and such just the abject human failure but it's just it's such a rich it's absolutely it's just it's so enthralling well, the, the the image i always think about it is uh as it was in krakow or warsaw um where the nazis are storming in and taking everybody out of their homes and stuff like that and there's the little girl in the red outfit um that stands right. out that uh schindler's watching on from the hillside on a horse and he like picks out this little girl and um, it's just one of those classic Spielberg moments of visual storytelling of just right. sort of shot reverse shot of going to the little girl and back to Schindler and back to the girl. And there's so much suffering and chaos happening around her. And he's just fixed on this little girl. Um, but yeah, and I think it's a brilliant movie. And the fact that he was, I mean, I think it would, who else could make a three hour, 15 minute black and almost entirely black and white film about the Holocaust. It's like rated R has, you know, serious violence in it. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I think it would, it took so, and it's such a mature film. And yes, he had done stuff like the color purple and empire of the sun before his, but this was his, like, it showed you that like, you can't look at this movie and say that, Oh, Spielberg's just a popcorn filmmaker. Like he's a serious, serious artist. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean it's it's definitely you could argue a Oscar movie, but it's so much better than that. Like the it's it's not it's almost like an insult to call it an Oscar movie. I mean, yeah, the three hour plus black and white Holocaust film, but it's just it's such a profound movie. And I saw it again a few years ago because they had a twenty fifth anniversary screening at the Tribeca Film Festival, and I got to see it with Steven Spielberg, 
Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley in person with a, for a Q and A afterwards, and it's it's such an overwhelming experience, especially seeing it in a big theater, you know, uh, projected and it had been restored recently. Yeah, it's 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 a it's one of the few uh, it's one of the top films that like every single human on earth should see it like mm-hmm. by the time they're twenty one. And I don't. I mean, obviously, you have great acting performances in Spielberg's movies. We saw a few in The Fablemans, but it's I don't necessarily always think of Spielberg as an actor's director in the way uh, you do about some other directors. But Ray Fiennes in, Sch- in Schindler's List gives one of the great like villain performances in the history of cinema. Um, so just thought I'd mention that. Uh, and then uh, sort of... Uh, I wouldn't say it's like an off period, but after that you get uh, Lost World Jurassic Park and Amistad, but then a huge 1998 with Saving Private Ryan, which I think for a lot of people our age and the generation above us sort of think of as the quintessential World War II movie. And I'm, I, I always think about that movie in comparison to The Thin Red Line because they came out the same year. And I'm, I'm much more of a Terrence Malick and Thin Red Line fan. Uh, than Spielberg at Saving Private Ryan, but there's no denying the first scene of, or not the first scene, because the first scene is with the old man at the Normandy uh, cemetery site, but the second scene of the invasion of Omaha Beach is just one that's seared into the brain of everybody who's seen it, and um, I don't think you can really overestimate the or overstate the just the impact of watching that scene as uh, historically inaccurate as it may be. <laughs> but, well, but Spielberg mean, isn't necessarily, you know, as uh, someone you think of as like portraying reality. He's someone who like portrays a heightened version of it, and that's very well, much I've, what we get. But I've heard veterans say it's like the most realistic depiction of war they've ever seen. Well, What's I the- think of the feeling of it. Yeah. But the the big, I mean, the uh, if I don't want to get into too many of the historical inaccuracies, but like the the beach, how it looks, and like the structures on it are totally unlike what it actually looked like the length of the beach is totally different than what it really was. And, and the shooting that happened on the initial landing almost happened to nobody except for a very small group of people who were actually from Bedford, Virginia it was sort of the only uh, PT boat that got hit. Like, like it makes it seem like everyone who landed at Omaha is just like constant gunfire. Everybody's dying. And it's like, there's so much dying that you're like, how are people actually getting, to the right. beach, <laughs> the two like because everyone is getting ripped apart by these bullets. So, but so if World War II historians will watch and be like, "This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong." And also, it doesn't mention it presents an entirely American viewpoint of the war that the Brits and the Canadians really, really don't like. Because now, anytime anyone thinks of the Normandy invasion, they only think of the American contribution. Um, right. But that's just a testament to Spielberg as a filmmaker that you see Saving Private Ryan, you're like, this is how it was. And I'm sure for the veterans watching, um, and you know, it happened 54 years after. So I doubt their memories of, of Dina are as clear as maybe they think it is. But emotionally, I'm sure I put him exactly in that place. And that's the power of it is it it just shows the like, you know, chaos of war and how gruesome it is. And um, there's an interesting William Goldman uh, review about it, where apparently at the time, I guess it was such a big talking point that it was like very violent. People were like, oh, it's so violent. And he said it was like going to see a sex comedy and being like, there's so much sex in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people go see war movies to see violence. So it's not like, you know, you get a badge of courage for doing this. Um, but I think it's it's really, really good. Um, I obviously it, prefer Thin Red Line from that year, but it's it's like it's become the ultimate World War Two movie in a lot of ways. Right. I think very much like one of the other better, best war films of all time, Fallen Mile Jacket. The yeah. whole movie is really, really good. But the first section is yeah. one of the greatest uh, sections of any film ever made. Yes. Like the yes. first 45 minutes of Full Mile Jacket is just like some of the best stuff Kubrick ever did. Uh, and I think the rest of the movie is really good too, but it, it doesn't live up to the first 45 minutes. No. Um, and we should note that this was the second Oscar uh, for best director that Spielberg, well, his second best director Oscar. And what beat it for best picture? <laughs> Harvey Weinstein's Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, yeah, so, um, and I think that in the early 20, uh, 2000s, he had a lot of really interesting films. So he yeah. had AI, artificial intelligence, which... I just mentioned Kubrick. It was a film that Kubrick was going to make, but he passed away. Didn't even make it to the year 2001. Uh, he uh, died in 1999. 
And that has a very mixed reaction. Some people don't like that movie. I really like that movie. I think it's. It feels real... really different than a lot of his other movies. Um, I think but... a big part of it is because it was going to yeah, be. Yeah. The Kubrick oh. sort of quality. And there's a. Um, it just doesn't. It's it doesn't quite have the same kind of humanity, I would say, or at least uh, the same kind of Spielberg essential E.T. Right. humanity, um, which I think might have left people cold a little bit. Right. Um, which makes it more intriguing and different than yeah and it's it's good that someone like him has that to sort of vary up the the filmography a bit because you know compared to like war of the worlds it's a much more interesting movie yeah but uh and i, I we were i think minority report is uh one, one of the best sci-fi movies for me of the century um, yeah and one, one of, of tom the... cruise's best performances i think yeah, I was just about to say it's it's a and and it's one of the earlier films I think a lot of people saw Colin Farrell in. Yeah, and has one of my favorite. Uh, I was saying Michelle Williams uh, is one of my favorite living actresses. Another one who's also in Synecdoche, New York, Samantha Morton is in. Uh, that's one of I think the first films people saw her in, even though she was in a Woody Allen movie. Anyway, uh, before that, an Oscar nominated. <laughs> but uh, I really like Samantha Morton. Yeah, Minority Report. It's such a great. It's based on a short story by Philip K. Dick, I think, right? And that's another one of the great sort of years he has, because it also, uh, in t- 2002, Catch Me If You Can, um, which I consider to be one of the more entertaining of Spielberg movies. And one of the ones uh, that he makes, I guess sort of likes in his list, and definitely Writers of the Lost Ark, that feels like it's sort of a throwback to another time. It's like you're almost watching a movie that was like made in the 50s with the music and the different editing styles he does and the sort of soul bass inspired aesthetic of the whole movie. Right. It's, you could like imagine Blake Edwards directing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, then uh, a couple years later, um, which I think might be both of our favorite movie of the century by Spielberg, uh, 2005's Munich, which I really like because. Um, well, first of all, because I love sort of spy espionage movies, but also because it just feels very different um, compared to a lot of his other movies. It's much darker and uh, there's a lot more, more moral ambiguity, more political. Yeah, there's a lot less of a just sort of good versus bad aspect of it. It's a lot murkier. And, you know, he is a Jewish person and it's about uh, sort of the retribution of uh, the state of Israel to the terrorists who committed the atrocity uh the murder basically of the uh, well not basically the murder of uh, the israeli olympic representatives at the 1972 olympics um and just uh it's just a really really good spy thriller uh and his first collaboration with tony kushner right right and uh it's uh people had seen daniel craig in movies but i think sometimes people forget he's in that movie yeah eric banna is in it uh (laughs) This is totally right. Did you know that Eric Bana started out as a like a stand-up comedian from Australia? He was like a <laughs> he does not seem funny, so that's very surprising to me. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so uh Munich is yeah, I, I actually I've seen the last 10 Spielberg films in a theater in their original release, and I have actually seen uh both AI and um Munich in 35 millimeter at the museum of the moving image oh, wow. the retrospective of spielberg's film so those were really great i mean it's such it's so great to see you know a spielberg film in a theater on a film print oh I mean, yeah yeah I bet. but yeah so munich i think is absolutely and i think it's one that you know when it came out i think you know a number of people saw it it got nominated for a lot of oscars spielberg got nominated for best director but i think it's not as well known as uh it's certainly not as well known as like schindler's list and saving private ryan of his like historical based on true stories dramas Mm -hmm. but um and you were dissing war of the worlds i still think it's really entertaining in a lot of ways yeah i mean there's a scene where tom cruise is throwing a baseball that's that's really annoying um no but it is spectacle it is a really good spectacle. it's better than like 95 percent of like the marvel movies oh yeah i mean just because spielberg is is i mean he, he rarely makes a bad movie, but uh, I think we'd both agree maybe since Munich, he has not been on fire quite like he was well, in earlier uh, parts of his career. Yeah, um, like I think Ready Player One is one of his weakest films. I did not, and I'm a big fan of Roald Dahl. I grew up reading his books, but boy, the BFG is just a big fucking gross. <laughs> I mean, not gross, but I mean, it's no, it's just. Well, I think it just feels so stale. Um, so boring. Sort of, yeah, boring. 
And uh, I, th- I think he sort of fell into a, I don't know, maybe just took things easy. Yeah. Um, just less interesting. But I mean, West Side Story last year, loads of Oscar nominations. Well, I think like I think one of his. Is. Well, I think that we need to mention Lincoln is one of his. Well, best. yes, yes, definitely, and won a Best Actor. Uh, is that the first time a person has won an Academy Award for an acting performance in a Spielberg movie? No, we, uh, <laughs> I feel like there has to be something before. Uh, I can't but, think of too many. There's, it's he's one of those directors you kind of forget how many people like were nominated for his films like Melissa Dillon and Close Encounters was nominated for supporting actress and like they're yeah. like he, he really has had a lot of uh yeah it might I, I think it actually might have been the first time that anyone wanted actress. yeah I think it might but yeah but, then, but yeah uh, wrap but wrapping up here I mean are you interested to see where do you think we're in a good spot with Spielberg moving forward do you think he's going to continue to make uh sort of movies that feel like he's pushing his boundaries a little bit like I think we both sort of felt Fableman's did. Well, and yeah, and he made his first musical. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know what he is going to do next as a director. Is have there has there been an announcement? I haven't he, seen too much, honestly. No, it's interesting how he's had a number of times. I mean, he's been a quite prolific director, and he's had over thirty feature films in uh, less than fifty years. But it's interesting how he'll like have in the same year or consecutive years this one-two punch of like you know, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, or he'll have, you know, even, you know, I, I mean, like Ready Player One, but Ready Player One and the Post came out really soon after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, Ten, the Post Ten and War Horse. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like he'll have, you know, one, yeah, I mean, it's also interesting to find, he is the only director to have Best Directing Oscar nominations in six, six decades in a row. That's crazy. Because he had the first Close Encounters, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000. And I also think, I may be wrong about this, I think that when, and it's almost certain he's going to get it nominated for Best Director for the Fablemans, it would be a real upset if he isn't. If when he gets that nomination, I think he will be tied with Scorsese as the most director nominations ever that's living. Wow. I think Spielberg and Scorsese are right about neck. Well, and those neck. I think uh, those guys are going to sort of go down as the people who dominated this era. The way people think of you know William Wyler and Howard Hawks and uh, you know Frank Capra and stuff like that. So, and he and I think they both um, really feel like directors like that who have a varied filmography. People always think of Scorsese as just a mob director, but you know he made stuff like Age of Innocence. And Spielberg is very much the same way where they feel like old school directors who can just sort of take on almost any job and make a really good movie out of it. Yeah. So uh, just want to recommend, especially if people haven't seen Duel, I want to recommend Munich. Um, I think that uh, if people have never somehow gotten to see Jaws, A Raiders of the Lost Ark, (laughs) Schindler's List, those to me are like the top ones for me. Yeah. Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report. Um, I mean, all of the Indiana Jones movies are fantastic, and he directed them. No, 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 no. The fourth one. Well, the fourth one. Well, it's not good, but it's fantastic as an Indiana Jones movie, I think. I still really like it because it's Indiana Jones. I mean, you could say it's not Raiders Lost Ark. It's, I mean. One of the worst movies he's ever directed. Yeah, but he's Spielberg. (laughs) He doesn't make bad movies. That one's bad, though. All right. Well, we could we could finish on a disagreement there. You, you calling I mean, it, out the, my bona fides. The, the first forty five minutes wasn't terrible, but it boy is it. it oh yeah. Uh, no, I'm not a fan. But but the first one is one of the greatest films ever made. Raiders. See Raiders. Yes. Well, that Absolutely. is our Steven Spielberg discussion. We both like the Fablemans. Um, thank you for listening, and we will be back with you guys next time.